Welcome back, everyone, to Aspire, the Leadership Development Podcast, where we will be discussing the visions, inspirations, and experiences from top educational leaders. My name is Joshua Stamper, and you can connect with me on Twitter or on Instagram at Joshua double underscore Stamper. This week, I am thrilled to be joined by Allison Apsey, the principal of Quincy Elementary in Zeeland, Michigan, and the author of The Path of Serendipity. Allison, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, I'm really happy to be here. I've listened to your podcast, and I'm excited to be a part of this. And Allison, as you know, the show is centered on leadership development. I would love to hear your personal leadership journey and how you became an administrator. I was a teacher, an elementary teacher. I started teaching at a school called Huntington Woods, and I taught multi-age classroom, grades three, four, and five, and I, it was a team teaching situation. So it was nothing that I was trained for in college at all. And I taught there for a couple years and then ended up moving a couple hours away to help open a charter school in actually Traverse City, Michigan. And I stayed there for 14 years. I was a teacher. Um, I've taught grades three, four, five, six, seven, and eight. And then I became an assistant principal and then a principal. I was mostly a secondary principal, junior high and high school there. And then now I'm an elementary principal. So this is my fifth year now at Quincy Elementary, my 21st year in education and my 16th year as an administrator. Oh, wow. And did you always aspire to become an administrator or was there a person who influenced that decision? I did not aspire to be a teacher, first of all. I did not like school as a student and I didn't want to step foot in a school again after high school graduation. But I had to volunteer for one of my college classes in a classroom and fell in love with the idea of trying to help school be different for students and have it be a place where they feel empowered and joyful. So I became a teacher and I had no aspirations to be a principal. I actually was going to get my master's in educational technology, which looked a lot different back in 1999 than it looks now. But there was a need in the school that I worked at where I helped open. And so I wanted to help the school, help the teachers, help students. So I went into administration to help fill a need. And in your transition from a teacher to an administrator, what was the largest misconception as you began your administrative experience? I was pretty young when I first became an administrator, and, and I was not mature. I was like 27 years old, and I made some rookie mistakes for sure. But I think one of my biggest misconceptions was the idea that I was supposed to have all the answers as the administrator. Like I was supposed to fix all of the problems and have all the answers and do that single-handedly. And that caused some trust issues in the school where I was the leader at the time. And so how did you work through that trust issue? Because obviously as an administrator, trust is a very big quality you need to have. How did you work through that with your staff? One of my biggest pet peeves is the concept of buy-in, where as leaders, we need to make the decisions and then we need to um, go about the business of giving, getting everybody on board. I have learned that effective leadership is not about buy-in. It is actually about shared decision-making. So one of the things that really helps establish trust in my current school and as a leader now is making sure that the people who are going to be affected by the the decision or who need to implement the decision have a seat at the table as we're making those decisions or looking at different options. And as an administrator, what is the most difficult part of being a campus leader? To be honest, I think it is when adults behave in ways that are not helpful to students 
or the other adult in the building. I, I think, you know, often we get self-centered and focused on the issues that we're facing and forget that everybody else is facing their own set of issues. So as a leader, I try to, to stay, you know, 72 degrees and sunny and positive, but also not deny the challenges in our profession and the realities that we face. But I try to make sure that my behavior and how I go about my day is, has a positive impact on everyone around me. And when I see others not doing the same, that is probably one of the most frustrating parts of being a leader. So going from a secondary campus to an elementary school, what was the biggest difference between those two? The only thing I had to search for in a locker was a Lego guy in <laughs> elementary. And I searched for a lot of different things in lockers in secondary. There's so many similarities between elementary and secondary. But honestly, I think being a principal of an elementary school is a little bit easier because there's a mindset of being student-centered that's built in more naturally to elementary than it is to secondary. Secondary teachers sometimes can be more subject-centered or prepping for college-centered than focused on the students that they have right in front of them. So getting momentum for some innovative changes and doing things differently and working together differently was a bit more of a challenge in secondary than it is in elementary. And as an instructional leader, how do you help your teachers grow in their knowledge and teaching strategies? So our, our, we've transformed our teacher evaluation process so that I do frequent, more frequent, shorter observations with feedback meetings within 24 hours. And when that happens, when I'm in classrooms nearly every day and I'm frequently having conversations about instructional practices and students and achievement with teachers, then I'm able to not only help them grow, I grow and I learn. And then I can share ideas from one that one teacher is implementing with another teacher. And I find that if I'm not in there, if I'm not in those conversations, if I'm not in the classroom, then how can I be an instructional leader? I think that's the, the most important thing is to be in classrooms with intentional purpose. And when you're in a classroom and you see something that may need to be corrected, how do you go about that with a staff member? Ask some questions. I think it's really important to find out exactly what's going on rather than make assumptions. Find out what the teacher is thinking, why the teacher made the decision that he or she made, and then ask some more questions that might elicit just a shift in thinking and then a shift in practice and, and follow up and see ways that I can support. So I might do some research or they might do some research and we bring it together or we might go visit another teacher and see how things are done differently or just brainstorm ideas together. The phrase data-driven decision-making gets used a lot. What role does data play in your position? A couple different ways. We look at data to just assess how we're doing as a school as a whole and look for areas of strength and weakness look for areas where we're growing, look for areas where we're stagnant, and then make school-wide plans based on that data. But it's also important to break it down to individual student data so that we can implement a multi-tiered system of support and then watch the achievement data carefully to make sure that what we're doing is having the impact we'd like it to have. We have 
benchmark meetings scheduled regularly throughout the year. So that's designated time where we come together and we take a look at, again, the big picture data, the grade level data, the classroom data, and then break it down to individual students and then make plans. We have a, a designated, we call it win time, which is stands for what I need, but every single student has a half an hour of win time four times a week. And so we're able to give that uh, small group instruction to the students who need the more intensive um, support. And we're able to give extension activities to students who need something beyond the curriculum that we're providing at the grade level. So having that built into our schedule and then having the built-in times where we take a look at the different, all sorts of different data points together has helped us be data-driven. As an administrator, what is one area you want to change in education? Oh, gosh. That's a big question. (laughs) I know. One area. If you want to cheat and say two, that's fine. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So one area that we're really working to change is approaching students with a trauma-sensitive approach so that we understand that students, their, their backgrounds, their stories, we may not even understand all of the things that they've seen or been through in their little lives. So that the, the best approach for all students is one of love and compassion and relationship focused. When we have a discipline issue at Quincy Elementary, the first thing I say to students is, I'm here to help you. Because even if the discipline issue results in a consequence or a restitution, I still am there to help them. It is a learning process, and we're not going to expect little people to be perfect because we as adults are not perfect. Mm-hmm. So just approaching with that, that love and care, and again, just like I do with teachers, try to develop an understanding of what the student was thinking, what the motivation was, and then help them develop a set of skills to handle the situation differently. So just a, approaching students in, in that trauma-sensitive way, I think, is good for everyone. I, I Even approaching teachers mm-hmm. with a trauma-sensitive approach. Like, we, I don't know what's going on in their lives, what their struggles are on a day-to-day basis. But assuming good intention and going into it with hope for understanding is the best approach for everyone. So that would be one change. The other change would be a do-over. I would love a do-over for education because we have this system built and we're so entrenched in this, this system that has been a part of our society and our lives for so long, but it was developed for a different purpose than we need now. So I would love to be able to just um, wipe the slate clean and start over with these, the new goals, the goals that our students need to achieve mm-hmm. today and for tomorrow in mind. Okay. So I want to go back to the restorative practices. Is that something that you actually have implemented on your campus? We are implementing. We're, we're at the <laughs> beginning stages yeah. of taking a look at um, a different approach to, to discipline. Mm-hmm. So we're implementing trauma-sensitive practices, but the state of Michigan has asked us before we issue any kind of suspension to take a look at what role restorative practices could play in helping the student learn and grow and not make the same mistake again. Have you started to work with social emotional learning on the campus also? Yes. Yep. We developed a set of learn social emotional learning. So we're not focused on character traits like respect, responsibility um, on a monthly basis anymore. Instead, we're focused on self-awareness and social awareness and social emotional 
um, learning goals. Mm -hmm. That's our focus. Of course, we don't ignore like respect and responsibility, but we're deliberately, elaborately teaching our students those social emotional learning skills. And we're, we're developing a framework on our own because we haven't found one that quite fits the mold of what we'd like it to look like. So it's a lot more work to develop it on our own, but I think the end result is going to be a system that we all have had input in and agree with that it's the best approach. And how's the staff feeling about that different approach? Has there been any pushback on that? Uh, yes, <laughs> right. <laughs> with any change, there definitely is pushback. So staff is at different levels of understanding different different levels of implementation for sure one of the the most important things is communication mm -hmm. so when a decision is made and people don't understand it often our mind goes to negative things if staff understand the why behind decisions and then see good results based on the decisions then they're going to come on board and want to be a part of the movement so what is one of the largest barriers to a healthy school culture? I would say negativity, <laughs> um, but that seems like too general of an answer. Maybe going into situations or change with a negative approach or assuming negative intent. So the opposite of assuming positive intent with everything, because if we approach everything, everyone, with an understanding that they want good things for us and for themselves and for everybody around us, then we can move mountains. In the, the path to serendipity, I talk about naive body spray and the benefits of spraying that on every morning. And it's tongue in cheek, but mm -hmm. the concept is the same as assuming positive intent. That if we have a student who's stuck in telling us, no, I'm not going to do it. And we approach them with the naive approach, which is they're confused. They want good things. They just don't know how to get it right now. We're going to approach them totally differently than if we approach them with the, in our minds thinking, okay, here we go again. We, we're going to be much more apt to get into a power struggle or have it go to a negative place than if we approach them with, they're confused. They need my help. I'm going to go help them. Mm -hmm. And for those starting their leadership journey, what advice do you have for them? Go for it. Shadow a principal. Get involved in as many leadership opportunities in the district as you can. I just threw in our last staff newsletter, I threw out there, you know, who wants to sub for me? And I had a staff member say, I would really like to do that. So take advantage of any leadership opportunities that you're given. Talk with principals about the best parts of their job and the biggest challenges that they have in their job. I think in maybe your last podcast that you released where you interviewed Jennifer Hogan, who is a good friend of mine, you asked her a question and I think she said a piece of advice that someone gave her was, don't assume that everyone is going to be like you. And that's, I think, one of the errors that new leaders make. They go in thinking that all teachers think like they do and, and that's not the case. We approach education so differently and with different mindsets, different experiences, different biases. So as much as you can, learn from all the leaders that you admire around you or on social media. And for those who haven't had the opportunity to read The Path to Serendipity, can you describe how the book may help our aspiring leaders? Yes. It was helping me today because I had a situation where I, I actually was driving down the road thinking, okay, Allison, you wrote about the emotions deflector. You need to put your emotions deflector on 
right now. So that's the idea of not letting, especially negative emotions of others, like seep into your psyche. And instead we wear this shield that allows their negative emotions, although we feel empathy, but it allows their negative emotions to bounce off of us. And then we get to keep our own 72 degrees and sunny, our own positive emotions and approach to the day. So that is something that's included in the path of serendipity along with the naive body spray. But really, my idea of serendipity is that every experience we go through in our lives, whether it's the, the greatest joys, like joys beyond our imagination, or it is our greatest challenges, the things that just kind of rock us to our soul, all of those experiences have beautiful lessons embedded in them. And if we approach life looking for the beautiful lessons in every experience we go through, then we're going to live a much more effective and fulfilled life. And the path to serendipity has like specific ideas and strategies and stories to do that, but that's the overall concept. And in addition to your admin position, you speak at conferences, you blog, you are very active on social media. How do you find your voice beyond the campus? I love writing. It is it fuels my soul. So I love blogging. I've started a few other projects. I have a children's book coming out this November, and I haven't really even blasted it on social media yet because I'm kind of waiting for the cover before I share it, but it's called The Princess of Serendip. And it's a retelling of a Persian folktale that is The Three Princes of Serendip, and it's the origin of the word serendipity. And I take it's totally my own version, completely made up, but told in kind of a folktale style. And it's about these um, three princesses who go off and live as commoners. And they discover that there's beautiful lessons built into the hard work and struggle in the commoner's life. So they discover the secret of serendipity. So that's coming out. I actually have another book that will be coming out maybe sometime this spring that's like a sequel to the path of serendipity called through the lens of serendipity. And so the path of serendipity is really about a look within and becoming our most effective selves. And through the lens of serendipity is a look around us and how we can best support and understand everyone we encounter. And then I started another project that I'm super excited about. I'm writing an adolescent chapter book and I started a, a new blog where I'm posting a chapter each week, and I'm asking children across the world to be my editors. And I launched that on Sunday, and I've already gotten feedback from a class in Japan, a class in Canada, a class in Wisconsin. One of my own Quincy Elementary students is giving me some feedback, but I'm going to go back and change the chapters based upon the feedback from my student editors. So I'll, I'll be posting another chapter on Sunday, and we'll continue like that for... I don't know, until the book's finished. I've never done this before. <laughs> We're just learning on the fly. That's a really cool project. Thank you. I'm super excited about it. You know, what research has shown that writing and reading for an authentic purpose really helps boost student achievement and student engagement in their own learning, as in their own, like, how they see themselves as readers and writers. Mm -hmm. And so this is like an authentic platform to help them grow academically and be empowered. So it's, it's actually the main character in the book is a seventh grader. So it's designed maybe for more appropriate from like fourth through seventh grade. That's awesome. I'm going to have to tell my middle school about that. Yeah, I would love that. In closing, what is the most enjoyable aspect of leadership? As a principal, my primary leadership is teachers. I did the math and, you know, maybe I get to spend five to 10 minutes 
max a week with students. And an elementary teacher spend about 1,500 minutes a week with students. So if I want to have a significant impact on students, my work needs to be through teachers. So creating school to be a need-satisfying environment where teachers feel positive and empowered and they want to be better every single day for their students and they're willing to take risks because they know that failure is okay and risks are encouraged. I think that's the, the most important part of being a leader. I love the interaction with students. It is, I have an important role in, in supporting them, especially you know, through crises or issues. But the impact, my impact, is magnified when my work is through teachers. And how can our listeners connect with you on social media? I am at Allison Apsey pretty much everywhere. It's A-L-L-Y-S-O-N-A-P-S-E-Y. That's Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and AllisonApsey.com. And if you want to email me, it's AllisonApsey at gmail.com. So you can access everything that I have out there on my website. So I just really appreciate the connection. I learn from, from others on social media every single day. I was just listening to a Voxer group and on my ride home from work today, and I have a bunch of new ideas from that group. So I, I really love connecting with educators across the world. Please continue to check out the Aspire podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes and share your ratings and reviews. Don't forget to use the Aspire lead hashtag as you continue the conversation on Twitter. Allison, thank you so much for joining the program. Thank you so much for having me. I, I love talking about my favorite topic, which is just being an educational leader.